Welcome back to this week's episode of the Coger Center Arts Roundup. You're listening with Nate Terracio. You're listening to the Coger Center Arts Roundup podcast. Our special guest this week is Ellen Schleifer. Ellen is the professor of opera. What is your real my, title here? My real title is associate professor and director of opera studies. Isn't that At impressive? School of Music at the University of South Carolina. Correct. How long have you been here at the university in this position? I have been here 15 and a half years. So that means you started in 04? I sure did. And how long has there been an opera program at the School of Music? There's been some sort of opera presentation of varying types since the 40s. There was uh, people, once I took the job, came up and said, oh yeah, I did opera here in 1952 and three and... But the opera at USC, the entity that is that I inherited, has been around since the mid-90s. So it got its own sort of department in the School of Music? Is that what happened? We are a program. We are technically a um, large ensemble, but in the academic world, not a major ensemble. But we, we are on par with the orchestra, the band, the choral, and the opera areas. How many professors, staff, faculty work in the opera department or opera program? Uh, me. I, and I have uh, uh, an administrative assistant that also works for the choral program. And we have a technical director that also serves as the IT uh, support guru for the School of Music. So it's a true art form in that everyone's wearing multiple hats. Exactly. And sometimes the hats are small and sometimes they're very big. So... What is your background in, and how did you end up in the opera program? How much time you got? We got lots of time. <laughs> um, I am a product of Columbia, South Carolina. I was born here. I went to public school here. I first started working in the theater at Dreher High School for the uh, Columbia City Ballet under the leadership of Ann Brody. And I also worked for the now defunct Columbia Lyric Theater at Dreer. So when you say you worked for them, in what capacity? Um, I did everything. I painted sets. I would hang lights. I opened the curtain, usually wrong. Uh, I was just around from the time I was in high school. I also worked at town theater. I was a goose once on, on stage, but on, being on stage was not really my, my thing. I'm too much of a control freak. And I worked at town theater, workshop theater, um, and... Went to graduate school in Washington, D.C. in directing with the idea that I was going to direct a Broadway play and got a job right out of grad school driving a truck and being a prop shopper uh, for the Washington Opera. And then they found out I could read music, so they thrust a score in my hand and said, here, we need an assistant stage manager, and you can follow this guy, and he'll tell you what to do. And I turned around, and he was gone. And 14 years after that, I ended up directing uh, the opening that performance of their season in 1994, production of Faust. And the next year, the management changed, and I was out. But that's, that's showbiz. So you got into this uh, from the backstage, technical, non-performance side of things. You, you, your degree is MFA in directing? Was it an MA program? I have, a, um, I have a BA in English from Davidson College and an MFA in directing from the Catholic University of America. In that program with that MFA, is it directing? Was it theater? Was it musicals? It was was it opera? It was theater. It was all theater. The opera, I, I backed into opera. 
I, or drove a truck back into it <laughs> and fell in love with it, actually. So had you done musical theater prior to landing yourself in opera, or did you go straight from sort of the regular theater world into opera through I, I being in the right place at the right time? Well, I mean, I, I studied music here, and I sang in choirs here in Columbia and did musicals and that kind of stuff, but it was pretty much, wow, okay, here's a job, and I happened to read music, so I, it was a, a theater degree. So you said you fell in love with opera. What's uh, tell tell folks who don't go to the opera regularly why it's such an impressive art form and and why they shouldn't be scared of it. Well, I tell you, I also run a a, a company that takes operas into schools and introducing children into opera. And what I have come to to realize in the short form that opera is a story told with music. That's all it is. And opera and musical theater are two sides of the same coin. Just how they tell the story varies a little bit. And part of what I think is so cool about opera is that it is the voice, and that's it. It's these two little muscles in your throat vibrating. And uh, how a singer can manipulate their voice to portray what a composer has um, written down. And the stories they're telling, they're very human stories. And the voice can uh, take over. Music takes over sometimes where words fall off. So there's a, there's a very famous um, opera by Richard Strauss called Capriccio, and the whole premise of the, of the opera is a composer and uh, the wordsmith, the lyricist, are fighting back and forth, which is more important, the words or the music. Prima la musica e poi la parola. First the music, then the words. And then the other guy says, no, first the words, then the music. And I don't know. I, I, I remember working when I was working at the Kennedy Center at the Washington Opera, now the Washington National Opera, and I was going around telling them, y'all, this stuff is, this, this is stupid. I think it's horrible. I hate it. And the uh, administrative assistant pulled me aside and said, Ellen, I guarantee you in a few years you will fall in love with this. And I said, you go back to your therapist. You are crazy. And, um, and she was right. And she did go back to her therapist. But um, it, it really... Opera is scary because we we think that opera is all about stories in languages we don't speak and in uh, stories that we don't understand. But every culture tells its story in music. I uh, bet you didn't know that there were operas written in Kaza, which is a South African language. Did you know that? I didn't know that. It's not something you can hum to. But, you know, you know that there are Italian operas and French and German and Russian, Czech operas. English. English, absolutely. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I, I get all kind of worked up about it because it is a part of my soul now. And they're, they're just things about the music that, t that touch me. But I was very resistant to it, even though I had grown up in Colombia where we had opera. We had community opera that was very, very good. And the Met Opera used to tour through here. And my parents would take me, and, and, we'd, and then when they quit touring um, to the scale, they went to big cities. They used to tour to Atlanta for a couple of weeks. So I, I've always been around it. But it, wasn't, it didn't excite me like musical theater did. And now both of them are just cool. They just jazz me up. What can I tell you? It's better than coffee. So for people who are nervous about seeing something that's not in English, uh, can you tell us why they should get over that fear? 
Well, first of all, most places, including uh, Operate USC, now have titles uh, projected above the stage, super titles. Um, you know, they're not subtitles like in a movie, sub over, that kind of stuff. And that helps. Um, I, I think you have to say, I'm going to take a chance. And it helps to do a little bit of homework, but with YouTube and Google and everything these days, it's very easy to to know the story coming in, to to listen to a little bit of it. And you know, we're talking about an art form that has a 500 plus year history. So you say opera, and it can be anything from a Baroque opera, where they speak sing a lot of the stuff, to something, um, well, Dead Man Walking. For instance, there's the, a 20-year-old opera now, but the Metropolitan Opera's just put it on its books for 2021, I think. Um, and and popular stories uh, that are told in, in a different way. Oh. So uh, my introduction to opera was, of course, uh, Elmer Fudd. Ap- and, well, mine and too, okay. Bugs Bunny. Um so there's a lot of opera that is crept into popular culture. Um, can you talk about how the importance of the music and the you know the art form, how, how it's been assimilated into uh, you know our everyday lives? Sometimes without us even realizing that some of the things we hear in commercials or whatever are actually from opera. Yeah, I don't know whether this audience may know it, but there was a, a one of my favorite commercials was a rice. Krispies commercial that had the um, the people singing "No More Rice Krispies," which is, um, and excuse me, I am not a singer, which is why I do what I do. But it was a a, a takeoff on uh, Payachi, the clown. Um, some people will remember the it was a champagne commercial that did the Omia Babino uh, Caro from Puccini's uh, Johnny Skiki. And it's also the background, that same aria is used a lot in Room with a View. Um, the uh, Philadelphia, the Tom Hanks Academy Award-winning performance uh, had uh, an aria, Sensa Mama, that, that sort of underscored a lot of those things. Um, the, you know, they're, they're, they, they creep into commercials all the time. And opera's very easy to poke fun at. Because we have a, uh, a stereotypical image of very, very large women with long blonde braids and wearing the horns because of all the Wagner stuff. You, well, know? you say it ain't over till the fat lady sings. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes you want her to just get on and sing it. But, you know, there's a little bit of something for everybody. And, and somebody will say, well, I don't like the opera. Well, they don't might, might like might not like German opera or Wagner or Verdi or something. But if you if you really just just take a little bit of time to research it, you can you might find something that really speaks to you. And then you have to you have to take a chance. And and that's what um, that's what I really get excited about here in, in the school situation that uh, our our students come in, they know a little bit of something, but as they explore and they open up actually books sometimes, um, they'll find, oh, wait, I didn't know that, or is this from, you know, and it's, it's, it can lead to a whole different experience. And, you know, you and I both work uh, trying to get people into live events, and that's the thing that excites me probably more than anything else, because it's a 
a one-time live experience that what the performer is going through and the orchestra and the conductor and the audience is that moment and that moment will never be created again so I, I think it's cool so you had a career directing opera working in professional environments how did you end up taking a job here at USC honestly my mother died and there was a job opening here and my father needed taken care of and he said go apply for it and I said I won't get it and I did and um, I was here for about seven years with my dad which was great and I got uh, incredible support from the, the staff and faculty here and I got tenure and you know we're, we're doing stuff I mean we did mass Nate come on two years ago think of where we were so what's it like what's the what are the differences between your professional work because you're still directing professionally mm -hmm. and what you do here at USC professionally uh, I don't have to reinvent the wheel every time uh, I walk in, there's a structure, there's an infrastructure there. There are people who take care of costumes and props and advertising, all of it. I, I Professionally, I walk in six hours a day working with people who are at the top of their game. Here, it's the opposite because we don't have a big structure, uh, infrastructure. We are separate from the theater department and we help each other out when we can. But every four years, every two years, the kids change. And we try to have our students involved with as many aspects of the producing of the opera as we can, from helping build the sets with costumes, props, selling tickets, advertising, fundraisers, all of it. Because when they get out in the real world, they're going to have to do that kind of stuff, even as singers, to make their, to make their path. So, How many students are there roughly at any given time in the program? Um, it's, it's a unique sort of program, uh, usually about 35 to 40. Um, and it's all, those are all singers. Yeah. Um, and, and orchestra members. Right. So the symphony, uh, members of the USC symphony yeah. are the musicians for the opera. Right. Is that we, right? We, we have, um, we have christened it the opera cohort of the USC symphony. And what they're learning is they're learning that experience so that they can take a background of having played for opera out into the professional world right. if, should they go choose or because even, it's slightly different than sure. playing you know in a symphony on a stage right and 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 having that experience of being in the pit but um for for an opera orchestra the orchestra is a character as much as the people standing up on the stage and that's what i hope they will will take away that they are not merely accompanying it they're part of of the whole storytelling process and we're very fortunate that um, Neil Casey has been leading us for uh, a good number of years now. And uh, Dr. Weiss, when he can, steps, steps to the podium. And we have uh, artists come in, collaborative artists from all over to design sets and costumes for us. And, and is also local people, depending on everybody's schedule. You know, freelancers is piecing it together. How do you choose the programs for the season? And, and tell us, what, what's the basis of a season? There's usually two two main we, operas we and do, then some one-acts or some yeah. scenes? We we do two fully staged operas with orchestra, costumes, all that stuff. Um, hopefully, usually at Drayton Hall or sometimes at Longstreet or 
Coger. I mean, our band hall, we've turned into an opera house before. And then we do uh, uh, a series of one acts or eight, uh, one act, depending on the length of it, in our recital hall. And we are fortunate to have uh, that series endowed um, by the family of Lanny and Sidney Palmer. So this year we are doing, we did Susanna by South Carolina-born Carlisle Floyd in the fall. We are currently working on Carousel. And in uh, April we will do the South Carolina premiere of an opera called As One, um, which is uh, the story of a transgender person. So that's a relatively new work? Very new. Rogers and Hammerstein's Carousel is a musical theater piece, but it's what uh, operatic in nature. Uh, how do you decide, you know, to do, say, Susanna versus Carousel versus something else? Well, um, with what's my, the thought process behind picking the the particular works? With my collaborators, Dr. Lynn Compass, who does our musical preparation and and our coach, and Neil Casey, we developed a, a loose formula that an incoming freshman, by the time they graduate, will have had the opportunity to either be in or witness uh, something from uh, many different eras of opera, um, uh, a Mozart piece or Mozart era piece, a bel canto opera, something mid-19th century, a 20th and a 21st century piece, and a musical theater piece and an operetta. So it was sort of our rotation this year um, for a musical. And um, my hope had been for the composer of Susanna Carlisle Floyd, who was born in Lava, South Carolina, to actually come up here. But he's in his 90s and his health didn't allow it this time. I, I, um, I've known him for quite a long time and he wanted to come. But I just wanted our students to um, have that experience. And also, I, uh, I hope that what we pick, the story matters, will also engender conversations um, Susanna had at, at the central, uh, sort of motivating action, a, a rape and there is domestic abuse in carousel. Several years ago, I did Sunday in the park with George and a piece based on the paintings of Edward Hopper so that our students could learn a little bit more about impressionism and about American art. I mean, I don't always try to be as didactic <laughs> with all of that, but, but Music students work so hard with the with the pages of music in front of them, and sometimes they don't have the opportunity to step back always. Uh, so I try to to it, when possible make sure our, our works give them more areas to to have discussions and stuff. And then you have to bear in mind the vocal ranges of the singers yeah, in the to, program. We have to know what the students, what you know, what talent we have coming in and what talent we can nurture to the point where they can get on the stage, and also what our audience will tolerate. I've done some things where people didn't want to see them, and that's fine. But that doesn't help the bottom line, does it? No, it does not. It is called show business. You can call opera all that highbrow stuff you want to. It's show business, right? It is indeed. Uh, you have grad students and undergrads in yes. the program? And, yes, and in... When uh, appropriate, I also invite community members in to audition for us and children. So there's a, a choir that's usually, there's a chorus in, a, in most operas. Is that made up sometimes of students who are in the choral program, not necessarily doing opera? Well, most, 
vocal students have to be in in, uh, in an ensemble as a part of their program. as a part of their program. Uh, so our chorus and carousel are either members of the auditioned concert choir or the university chorus. To get into the program, you have to audition, and to, you're looking for to try to fill out. Do you think of it in the same way that if you were uh, sort of creating an opera company? Uh, no. at a professional environment or you will take anyone who um, is sort of qualifies vocally for the program. I guess what I'm trying to ask yeah. is, you know, are you looking for all the right ranges or, or do you sometimes end up stacked with, you know, well, a lot of we, sopranos and not enough? Well, we do. I mean, and I don't do shows with nuns, so we don't do a lot of the standard things that have mostly women in them. You know, Sound of Music, um, Sor Angelica. Dialogue of the Carmelites. Somebody else can direct. I don't know why, but um, vocal students are eligible uh, to audition, and we also open our auditions to the community. Uh, we usually don't pick our repertoire until we know who uh, have an idea who's coming in, you know. And we do undergrads and, and grads. Our roles are open. Of course, first priority goes to music students. And certain people in the opera theater master's program uh, have to fulfill roles as part of their degree. So it's kind of, how do I pick shows? Is that essentially what you're asking me? And yeah. how, how do you pick this, you know, and sort of also how do you pick the students? I mean, if you were well, running, if you were running a professional opera company and you were auditioning people for a season, you would have an idea of well, yeah, I would I'm, be, I'm looking for so many baritones and so many sopranos. Well, no, and, I, I was looking for this type and that type. But here, we, it's a little bit of what do we have and what can we do to, to put it together. You know, we're looking for uh, students who are um, driven to be the best vocal performers but you know we also have a big percentage of our student population of music ed students they don't really want to pursue a, a performing career and you know but if they're going to be teachers they're going to be acting every day in front of in front of their audiences so um you know we're not a conservatory uh so we don't pick people um pick is not really the right word uh, and our opera program, you know, I, I don't let people in saying, I want this person to do this role. We, we see who we have and, and see how, where everything fits and, and somehow it all works out. It's a miracle. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about the upcoming production of Carousel? What, what to expect, what to look for, why people should come see Carousel? You know, people think of musicals now. There's such a, I mean, wicked coming in um it, it was such an extravaganza and it was it was incredible and i enjoyed it very very much um we don't have those kinds of resources carousel is is now one of the golden age um musicals people will know rogers and hammerstein and and they'll know tunes from carousel whether they know it or not it's um i, I picked it i don't know why i picked it Honestly, um, because you, it's not done very often. That that's one of the reasons. And I had um, a, a, an idea of of what we wanted to to have our students experience beyond Oklahoma, South Pacific things that are done a lot around the Midlands. And our production is um, designed by 
Colleen Balance, who teaches at Walford, and she was the charge scenic artist for Spoleto for a long time and worked at the Guthrie Theater in, in um, Minnesota forever. And the lighting designer is Julie DeRoe, who is a New York-based lighting designer who's been working down here with us for a long time. And uh, we just we just thought this would would be a good one for our students to work with. And I, I liked, in, in face of the Me Too movement, it's, it's problematic. So I wanted us to be able to discuss things. But uh, how, how do we deal with pieces of, of things that are great art, but we can't look at them the same way, the same way as, as the, the opera world is dealing with should Madame Butterfly not be cast with anything but Asian singers? And the, the, there was a controversy not too long ago about Porgy and Bess. Uh, you know, the, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's an African-American cast. But, you know, dealing with all of these uh, old pieces that are still classic and still valid, how do you look through them through a 21st century lens? And so that's been a good, a good thing for us to talk about, too, because there is, I mean, there's, the guy hits her. Uh, I mean, Billy Bigelow hits his wife, and but it's about redemption, and that that's what I I like. I mean, he's he's the the one good thing in his life. Let's Billy Bigelow into the the pearly gates of heaven. He goes in the back door, but um, um that does that make any sense? It does. It makes perfect sense. Um, you know, there are people that love Carousel, and people go, huh. I mean, they are not really hate it, but it's it's not a lot of middle ground with it, and it's also one I really um, I hadn't seen since high school, so it was fun to to explore it again too. How many performances are there? There are three, just three. And do you double cast any of the roles? Do you have multiple students we, singing? We, in this instance, we have um, uh, the role of Julie Jordan is double cast, and one small choral role is double cast. But that's it. It's too hard to rehearse something this big with with multiple people. And the production uh, opens. Tell us the dates. We're February twenty eighth, twenty nine at seven thirty at Drayton Hall, and March first at three p.m. And for more information, we can go to the opera page on the university's website. Yes, and uh, or call seven 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 five three six nine. Uh, so the production's at Drayton Hall. Drayton Hall is in uh, the education building, Wardlaw uh, building. It's the theater department's uh, proscenium stage. Um, built it, it. It was actually the first or one of the first auditoriums on campus. And my father graduated from college here in in 1949 and <laughs> on the, that stage. And they walked across that stage. I feel like yeah. the seats might have been I think the old seats when were. he when he graduated. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's right across the street from the Horseshoe, and. Uh, the corner of College and Sumter Street. Parking is always an adventure. Well, it's an adventure for anything here exactly. on campus. Exactly. That's, uh, that's what we say. But I am very excited about this production. Is there anything else you'd like people to know about the uh, opera in general, this particular opera, next season, anything you'd next like to share? Season, next season has not yet been announced. I, I would just say this is, this is well worth your time. It doesn't take I- any longer to come downtown than it would to see a football game. And you're still cheering on student athletes because singers and musicians are as much an athlete as anybody else. And they're, it's worth the energy. And I think you'll get a good jazz from it. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you. This has been the Coger Center Arts Roundup with Ellen Schlafer, who is the, I'm going to call you the director of the opera program at the University of South Carolina School of Music. Thank you, Nate. The Coger Center Arts Roundup is produced in part by Garnet Media Group, the student media partnership at the University of South Carolina. Information about tickets and upcoming events can be found at CogerCenterForTheArts.com, the official website for Coger Center tickets. For more information about Garnet Media Group, visit garnetmedia.org.